family with us this morning. Um, Andrew's going to come up and preach, I believe from Psalm 23. Is that where you're still going? I don't actually, I'm like, where are you? You've got to be in here. <laughs> like, okay, open another file. I'm preaching, I guess. No. Psalm 23, uh, looking forward to hearing from him. If you weren't in our ABF this morning, you missed out on a very wonderful update of what God is doing in Japan uh, and what he's doing in the Gonnermans' lives. Uh, if you've ever learned another language, you know it's very, very difficult. And for uh, Andrew to have been able to even preach a sermon before coming back, having only been there, was it four years, three years, four years? Uh, that's, that's incredible. Uh, Japan, Japanese especially, is not an easy language. Uh, but uh, Andrew, come and, and preach the word to us. Look forward to hearing from the word this morning. Thank you. Good morning. We're going to see if we can get this to work today. <laughs> All right. Looks like we got it. So uh, I am Andrew Gonerman, and my family and I serve in the Tokyo area of Japan. And we have been there since 2018. We just finished up our first term. And so we are enjoying it. Uh, thankful for God helping us through difficulties, and we are uh, looking forward to continuing to serve him in Japan. It's during this time that I get the privilege of opening God's word with you. And as I thought about what I should preach, one of the things I like to do is look at what God's working in my life. And as I consider that, I figure that if God's working in my life through things, that there's probably others that he's working to or wants to work through as well. And Psalm 23 is one of those passages that God really used over the last couple of years in my life. But before I talk about Psalm 23, I want to talk a little bit about vending machines. In Japan, vending machines are really a part of the culture. You can find them even in residential areas. I wouldn't have believed it until I went for a walk and saw a vending machine. I thought, that's weird. And then I kept walking, and there was another vending machine, even residential. And I'm talking houses. But you can find newspapers, umbrellas, clothes, ice cream from vending machines. And the nice part about vending machines is that you can just get something pretty easily. You put your money in. You then push the button, and out comes exactly what you want, or at least hopefully. There are those times where you put your money in, push the button, and it gets stuck. And then you have to stop. Okay, what do I do? I shake the machine a little. Okay, that's not working. Um, do I call somebody? There's a phone number on the side. Maybe they could help. Do I just say, oh, whatever, it's only a dollar or 50 cents or you know, whatever it may be. Do you just walk away because it's super inconvenient? Most likely you get frustrated, angry, but normally vending machines work just right. As I started thinking about it, I wondered, you know, is God like a vending machine? And I think everybody in this room is probably sitting there going, no, God is not a vending, that's borderline heresy to call God a vending machine. But what about the way we treat God? 
Are there times where we treat God like a vending machine? You know, I've been going to church and doing lots of good things. And I said, I mean, it wasn't the best prayer I've ever prayed, but I prayed pretty much from my heart to get what I wanted. I think we do treat God like a vending machine. We do the right things. We say the right words, and we get what we want. And if you're wondering, well, I don't know, that seems like a little too far. Well, what happens when you pray and don't get what you want? And I'm not talking about the big things. I think everybody probably knows that if you are praying for a million dollars and you wake up the next morning, you check your bank account, I don't think anybody's really upset. Um, God just normally doesn't work that way. We don't get extra zeros added to our bank account each morning. However, there are those times where, you know, we've been serving God. And we pray that prayer of, Lord, help us have a safe trip home. Help us to stay healthy. Please heal this injury or this sickness. And it seems like the prayer just gets stuck. And we get upset. We want to kind of try to force God to do it. Because this is right. I mean, it's just a little request. I needed a safe trip home. Why did I hit that deer? Why was it an accident? Why are they still sick? And we get upset. I think we do treat God like a vending machine, at least some of the time. And so, as I look at Psalm 23, we see that David does not call God a vending machine. And you may say, well, of course, vending machines weren't invented back then. Okay, that's fair. But what God calls God is a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is how David chose to describe God. But I think we may ask the question, does, really God, does God really act like our shepherd? So let's look at Psalm 23 and just see what God has, or what, well, God through David has to say. David continues, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The idea here isn't that God is commanding and forcing you to go to these green pastures. The idea is that you want to. This is so good looking that you want to. He's making you through causation. Like he's causing you to want to go. And the reason is because it would be something along these lines. A place with green pasture. A place with smooth, calm water. This is a paradise for sheep. They can get all the food they want. They can get drinks. There is no danger. There is no drowning from a rushing river. If we're going to compare it to today, it might be somewhere along the lines of having that wonderful Sunday dinner. 
and you've got enough to eat, and then you go and you sit down and you can relax, you are satisfied, and you start getting a little sleepy, and you take that wonderful Sunday afternoon nap, hopefully, hopefully your kids too if you have kids. But you are satisfied and at peace, at rest. That's the idea here. God as a shepherd cares for his sheep and takes him to a place of rest. Find rest in the shepherd. It reminds me of later Jesus would say, come unto me and I'll give you rest. This isn't necessarily a vacation rest of not doing things, but a rest of you have done what you are supposed to, you have worked, and you have that looking out at your work and just have peace and rest about it. That is what the shepherd offers. But some may say, yeah, but doesn't the shepherd do more than just taking the sheep out to the pasture? Well, yes. David continues, he restores my soul. There's actually some debate about what this means. Soul can mean soul like we think about it, or it can mean life of more of a physical sense. And so there's a debate on, is this talking about, say, the lost sheep who goes off and the shepherd goes and finds them and rescues them, saving their life, their soul, or is this the shepherd takes care of the sheep, the sheep breaks its leg, and he helps fix and mend and takes care of them when they're sick? And really, I think there's an essence that David is talking about both. I think he's talking about salvation in the general sense. It could be salvation of the soul, salvation of life. And it can be salvation from physical, a rescue. Find salvation in the shepherd. This is a God who rescues. For some of you, that mean, may mean right now more in that soul sense. You know God, you know Jesus. You've been here at church, you've heard about him. You have heard from your friends. And yet, he is not your shepherd. He has not saved your soul. And by that I mean that when we sin against God, when we do things that go against who God is, that go against what he has commanded us, we sin, we've done wrong, and we can't pay for that ourselves. And yet, God through Jesus did. He paid the price for our sins so that they could be forgiven. So that God can be our shepherd. And if that's you, that you say, no, I don't know that. I don't have a relationship with the shepherd. I'd love to talk to you both the pastors would love to talk to you. Please find us. We would love to talk to you about that.
But for others of you, maybe it's more of that salvation that this life has just beaten you down. Maybe you are sick. Maybe you have that injury. Maybe it's just that this sin-cursed world is not being fair. There's just so much going on. Turn to the shepherd. He will care for you. You can find salvation there. I'm not saying that he will for sure heal you, but he will walk with you. He will help you. He will bring others to help you as well. And one day in heaven, we will be perfect. And we can look forward to that. Find salvation in the shepherd. But couldn't God be hired help rather than a shepherd? I mean, hired help could lead you to a new field to eat. Hired help could help heal you when you're injured or lost. And David continues. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Here, the path of righteousness is the right path the way that is right to go. It is God's way. And he leads us there. And I like the fact that the next verse says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we just talked about leading. God is leading us. And the next verse, David says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't think this is an actual, real place called the valley of shadow and death. It seems more like an imagery of somewhere that is difficult. There is death there. You're under its shadow. It's looming over you. It is a scary place. When you walk through this figurative valley... says that God is there. But wait a minute. He, God was going re- to lead through the path of righteousness. And the next verse, David seems to be lost. He made it to this valley of shadow of death. How can God be leading us to the right place and we still go through the valley of shadow of death? And the answer that we don't necessarily like is that there are times where The valley of trial, of shadow of death, these hard times, is the right path to walk through. That is the path of righteousness. And that is hard. Which is why I'm so thankful that David says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Because if God said, go over there, to that valley by ourselves. That would not be leading. That would be directing. But he leads us there with us through it. David says it's a comfort because your rod and your staff are there. The rod was the idea of a protecting weapon. So it was a weapon that the shepherd would use if there was a 
predator that came. The staff was to help the shepherd be sure-footed. So what David is saying here is, God, you're leading me, even in these hard times, and it is with your rod, you're protecting, and your staff, you are sure-footed. You are not going to slip. There's no mistakes here. God is leading perfectly through the path of righteousness, even when it's hard. Find guidance in the shepherd. He won't let you fall. He will be with you even when it seems like there's no hope. He will protect us, and he doesn't make mistakes. Find guidance in the shepherd. Okay, so he's a shepherd. But does God really care for a sheep like a shepherd? Does he? Let's see what David says. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. I think that the imagery of the sheep and the shepherd still continues here, but David does take a little bit of a turn. I think he's adding in an element here of a welcome. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. This sounds like one of the worst ideas that I've heard. Taking and preparing a table, preparing a meal, usually you want a safe place. You want somewhere where people can feel comfortable. And David's saying, you prepare the table in front of my enemies. Um, that would be somewhat, in my mind, similar to if I said, hey, we're going to have a meal, and I'm going to set it up. It's going to be the best meal you've ever had, by the way. It's going to be on the border of the Ukraine and Russia. And I'm pretty sure that all of you are looking at me and going, there's no way he can protect me. And you're right. I can't. And yet David is saying, God, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies because he is able to keep you safe. This is a welcome. I am welcoming you with a meal, and it doesn't matter that your enemies are right there. You are safe. I can keep you. Come enjoy the meal. He says, you anoint my head with oil. That's another part of welcoming. When a guest would come over in the culture back then, you would pour oil on their head. It was a, sh a sign of welcome, of you are our honored guest. Probably a little bit of you've been walking around and this is fragrant oil and it will help with the smells. You'll feel more comfortable. This was a way of welcoming. As we look at the sheep metaphor the shepherd would go and prepare a table by going out and scouting new places for the sheep to feed. He would go find the green grass, the green pastures, make sure it was safe, no place for the sheep to fall off, no predators who were making their home there. He prepared the table. And when it comes to the oil, you've also got, that for medicinal purposes, to this day, they still pour oil on the heads of sheep to help with bugs, to protect the sheep. 
I think it has this double imagery going on. This is something a shepherd would do, but it's also doubling as we as God's sheep are welcomed. In fact, it's so much that the next part, my cup runs over. This is the idea of you've got a cup and you're pouring it. And if you're a guest at someone's table, they pour it, you go, oh, that's enough, thank you. And they keep pouring and pouring and pouring until the cup is boiling over. You have more than enough, more than you would ever need. Now, I'm not saying that's how you should welcome people to your home. That gets messy. But what it portrays is, look, there is so much there, it doesn't, it can spill on the table. There's still more. It's the generosity, the abundance supplied by the shepherd. Find a warm welcome in the shepherd. His arms are open for you. I've already mentioned, if you don't know him, his arms are still wide open for you. He wants you to come to him. And for those of you who do, those times where you've sinned, you've done something wrong, and you don't want to go to Jesus, because what if he sends lightning down? What if he is angry at me? No. If you come to him in the right spirit, that you are sorry for what you've done and you want to change, he is open with, he is waiting with open arms for a warm welcome. He wants to provide abundantly for you. He wants to take care of you. Turn to the shepherd. David continues, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The idea here is that they will accompany you. It is for sure that goodness and mercy will accompany you all the days of your life. Goodness here refers to things that are good. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. And in that meaning, the punishments that we deserve, the scoldings that we deserve, so many things that we deserve because we are sinners and yet we don't get them. And they will accompany us. That doesn't mean that if they were following us that they're always six feet behind us. Never really catch up to us. But instead, they are with us all the time. All the days of our life, they are with us. But it's not just this life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And if we are continuing the sheep metaphor that David started, this is even more amazing. Because, remember, the sheep will dwell in the house of the shepherd, the Lord's house, all the days of their lives. And forever. It's humbling that we as sheep get to spend eternity in the house of the Lord. I don't know too many sheep that live in the house of their shepherds. 
but this is the God we serve. Goodness and mercy will follow you, will accompany you all the days of your life as God leads you. And into eternity, forever, you have a home with the shepherd. Find a future in the shepherd, in this life and the next. So we've seen that we can find rest, salvation, guidance, a warm welcome, and a future in the shepherd. But I do wish that we just had some way of summing this up. Some way that would put this all together to help us remember on those times where we need God's help. I don't know if you noticed, but I kind of skipped over something in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't know how many times I've heard that in my life. I memorized it as a kid. I've read it in the Bible many times. And about two years ago, I was reading in my Bible, and there was a, a different translation, and it translated like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. Now, I shall not want, and I have all I need, are very similar. I mean, it's it, essentially the same idea. But for some reason, I read, I shall not, or I have what I need, and I just stopped. The good shepherd provides perfectly. I have all I need right now. The reason this made so much of an impact on me is because at that time I was kind of doing some self-pity and complaining because I was having trouble with the fact that the new missionaries that we wanted to become really good friends with were two hours away from us. Why can't there be more missionaries around us? I want to fellowship. Fellowship is a thing the Bible says we need. Why can't I have missionaries by us? Why can't we have English speakers in our church? It all has to be in Japanese. Japanese is so hard. I want to learn it. I do. But I need to have more than just Japanese fellow. I need to have English conversation. I need some other guy that I can talk with. And I won't go into all of them, but there is a long list of these. And then I read, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. Okay, so, yep, the Lord is my shepherd. So that means I don't need those things. Because the Lord provides perfectly. I know that. So I don't need those right now. Doesn't say I never will, but at this moment, what I'm going through right this moment, I have everything I need to get through it and not just stumble through it, 
but grow through it and flourish through it because the Lord provides perfectly what I need right now. And that means that when we are going through those health issues, when we have that accident with our car, we have everything we need. And sometimes that's a friend we can call. That's a church that can rally around us. That is family that we can rely on. But God has given us what we need in that moment. And that was convicting. That was hard. And that has been super helpful over the last two years. When things don't go the way I want them to because I need something, I stop and think, okay, nope. God is my shepherd. He gave me everything I needed and I didn't need that right now. Hopefully soon I will and he'll give it, but right now I don't need it. I can get through this and I can take each step relying on him and what he's given me. There is one more thing that, some, that God uses. And it's another thing I skipped. Verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's important that we remember that when the shepherd is leading, when he is guiding us, when he is shepherding us, it is for his name's sake. And we may say, that's, that's kind of unfair. I mean, of course I want his glory. Of course I want it for his sake. But can't it be for my sake too? I think that's true. But there might be a little problem because if God's working for each of our sake, Sometime, there will be a time where, for this person's sake, you get neglected. There'd be a time where, for this person's sake, you have a miserable time. But when God's always working for his sake, he can be consistent. And in case you're worried that, you know, what... What about this? What am I getting out of this? Can't, will he neglect me? No, he will not. Because how can he be a good shepherd if he is neglecting his sheep? How can he be a good shepherd if he loses a sheep? There has never been in the history of shepherding that I know of a shepherd that came back one day and so he goes, how'd it go today? It was great. I took out 200 sheep and brought back 190. No, that's not a good shepherd. That's a horrible shepherd. You go out and look for the sheep. For his name's sake, he will take care of us. So why do we go through these troubles? Why is it hard? Well, later, James writes, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 
God acting his sake lets us go through trials and we grow through it when he provides everything we need to go through it. You say, okay, but can you show me an example where God's sake, he is working and it benefited me? That it is good that he's working for his sake. Well, for his name's sake, he sent his son to be born as a human. To be born as a man in a humble manger. For his name's sake, he caused his son to die on a cross so that our sins could be paid for, so that he could take care of his sheep and provide a future for them. And for his name's sake, Jesus came back to life. And assures us we can have eternal life with him forever. For his name's sake, we can be saved. For his name's sake, he cares for us. And that is the shepherd we serve. That is something that's been working that God's been working on in my heart. The good shepherd provides perfectly. In this moment, I have all I need. And you may be sitting there saying, that, thanks for sharing the word, but you know, when missionaries come, don't they usually give a little bit more missions-minded of a sermon? And I'm glad you asked that question. I think a lot of times when we are talking about sharing the gospel, we end up with a little bit of a vending machine mindset. If you recognize that you're a sinner and you say the right prayer, say the right words, you get to go to heaven. It's kind of like a transaction. It's like working with a vending machine. Now, I'm not saying that it's not true. You have to admit that you're a sinner. And you do confess, and I think there is an element of confessing with your mouth, like the Bible says. And you do receive eternal life. But what if we looked at it more like a shepherd? Sometimes we talk so much about the transaction, we forget to talk about the shepherd. And I don't know about you, but I don't really want to spend all eternity with a vending machine. And if we're viewing God as a vending machine, there's an element of that's what we're talking about. But if I can show somebody that God is a shepherd, that he cares for you, he takes care of you, he provides a future for you, he will lead and guide you, he will help you. That 
is a God I am more than happy to spend eternity with. I want to spend eternity with. That is a God that sounds like a God I want to go to church and learn about. I think that we need to work on sharing how great our God is with people. This morning we talked about how one of our friends in Japan, after Janae told the story of Jonah to her, explaining why we named our son Jonah, that friend was like, you mean your God loves people and cares for them and searches out for them? He forgives them when Jonah ran away? That is not a vending machine. That is a God who shepherds and cares for us. And people want to know more. I know I do. Just a thought. Share about the shepherd. Share about a God who cares and loves and sacrifices for people. That is somebody that is worth following. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being our shepherd. You welcome us with warm arms. You care for us. You provide for us. We don't always understand, but we do know we can trust you. Grow our faith to do so. Help us in our times of despair, not to look at ourselves, but to look at you who's leading us through that time. Guide us this week. Help us to pay attention to opportunities you give, guard our speech, and guide it as well. Help us to serve you and to point people towards you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.